And now, locked in to one mic real talk, one mic real talk, one mic real talk. and um, I'm hopefully gonna do English Lit, Art, History and Latin uh, next year. Um, unlike some people here, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, oh sorry. Um, I just, I really like um, books and art and making things. And I think there's a lot that can be communicated with that. And I think that's really important. And I like analysing things. Uh, Hi, I'm Emily. I'm also 16. And I've also just done my GCSEs. Um, I don't know what I'm doing next year, apart from uh, music. I know I'm doing that, just don't know where. Which is no big deal, I only have to decide by tomorrow. No pressure. Um, <laughs> Um, I like music, basically. Um, that is my whole life. Since I was six, um, I've been playing the flute. So, um, yeah, music, playing the flute, playing the piano, playing the ukulele. Um, that's my form of expression. I also like books, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm Joel. I'm in year 10. And um, I like really like talking about like key issues that affect like our like generation, for example, you know, like what we're talking about, because like many things that need to be talked about aren't really like we're not really given a voice, and I feel like this is like the first step to do that. Dominic, hello. Hey, I'm Dominic. W welcome. Um, I'm 14, so I'm just starting my GCSEs, and I chose music as probably the main thing I'm going to do, but triple science, which is, for some reason, it's another, it's a whole thing by itself. I'm doing that as well, just as a kind of fallback. Um, but <laughs> m music yeah. is, has always been really been my thing. I always had a love for brass and jazz. I think I always like jazz because it's just the most, it's very fun to play. Hi, uh, I'm Shanice. Uh, I am a recent graduate. I say recent, it was last year. I graduated um, from studying dance. Uh, I absolutely loved my time at uni and now I'm out in the world uh, and looking to get involved in any kind of arts as possible. Um, as I said, I studied dance and I've done dance for the last... I've also loved writing. I got really into writing over the uh, 
pandemic. Do we say that word? Um, but um, poetry, I just love it. Um, and I actually had the opportunity to write for a magazine. So that's been really fun. Um, and wow. it's been just a way for me to express. There are, there are too many things that I think I experienced that I don't have the words for. Um, so it's me seeking different art forms to do that. So I really like collaging and kind of making a mishmash of words, of textures, of colours, of just language in general. Um, but yeah, I'm just, now I graduated, it's finding what I really enjoy and sticking with that. That's kind of always been my motto. It's like, don't do things because you feel you have to. Stick to doing things you enjoy and money will happen eventually. <laughs> money yeah. will happen eventually. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, that's the difficulty with the arts. Yes. I'm sure you can speak a lot more on this, but like mm-hmm. the idea of having to square creativity with earning a living, mm-hmm. you know? And it's the same with like English and like analytical stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, what, like, why should that be a thing, right? Like, what, if you're pursuing creativity um, or like, like the pursuit of intellectualism as well, like or the pursuit of analysis, like aside from getting into the academic world with analysis or like being a classical musician, like if you just want to go and express and uh, yourselves and like explore new things, that that might not necessarily like get millions of people interested in what you're doing, but it's a way of like pushing boundaries or like exploring creativity, mm-hmm. like do you try and earn a living doing that or do you like work in Costa Coffee and then like in your spare time do it? Yeah, you know? That was definitely my kind of plan. Uh, I, did, I ended up in, I found myself being self-employed and living the freelancer life since I left uni and that was really bizarre because that was not my plan. I don't think I had a strict plan. I had a panic in my last year of uni of I should do a master's, everybody else is doing a master's. Um, and then I realised, oh, you don't need to do a master's to do what you want to do. It kind of enhances the knowledge you already have and I wanted to be out in the world for a bit, see what's there. Um, but what you said about earning a living uh, versus like the, co- the kind of education and a- academic world, um, having been in an education system and you guys are in an education system, it's really hard to navigate um, amongst a field of uh, like the English baccalaureate or kind of what you're dealing with there because English, math, science are prioritised, the STEM subjects. Um, there's talk at the moment around STEAM, so adding A for arts. And um, I think it's so necessary, enriches you in it. And you get so many social skills from being involved in arts that I think are neglected um, quite often. Um but yeah, my school didn't prioritize art. So, but but you we just spoke about uh, it's a kind of like a rivalry at my school. There wasn't a rivalry because we were kind of like we know the school doesn't want arts, so we kind of all banded together, um, and we were always called on at the last minute to throw on a show in a week, and then we'd be like, oh, okay, yep, we'll all do it. There would be none. There would be so many. Uh, singing performances drums you'd have full-on productions put on in like a week or two um whereas none of the other subjects had to deal with that (laughs) do you think that there's like um do you think that the school system like doesn't value creativity in music absolutely agreed yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
not just the school system i'd say but the government as well because yeah. it's like as we've seen recently like there have been so much cu- so many cuts to the arts and and in school as well things being stripped back when actually it's so vital for like mental health and expression and all of these things and it gives you these transferable skills which are so important so yeah so wh- why do you think that is like why do you think that 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 the, like schools and and the government and and ultimately like why do you think that they negate the value of art and creativity when especially when like so like you know culture is such a fundamental part of like the UK's industry and like our output you know as a as a country that you know it's it's one of the only like booming industries is like the hospitality industry which is like foundational foundationally like based on the arts and creativity music and performance and all of that well look here's the thing what i don't understand is that the government have gone well there's not enough money coming through music for example so we're gonna cut all of our funding towards music education well they don't understand like what child six seven eight year old doesn't want to learn an instrument they can't afford it the kids can't afford it so that they never learn an instrument, never find a love for classical music. So therefore, when they grow up, they never want to go see classical music. If they funded kids when they were younger, for example, my mum, going back a while ago, um, when she was six or seven, she got free flute lessons. Yeah, so then she got to grade five. She had to stop eventually. But that actually meant it had kind of a knock-on effect that when I... Um, got to my age, got to six, seven. Um, I didn't get free flute lessons, but I did have a free flute because she had a flute because she had her free flute lessons. And um, and so that meant now I love classical music and I could go into the field. I wanted to go to Kill University where both my parents went and they've just cut the music course. There aren't any music courses there because they're not getting any funding. So I just find it funny how this circle goes that if they just funded kids that kids could have a great experience anyway, even if they don't become classical musicians. They can learn an instrument. Because if I didn't have that flute, I'd never have been able to afford one. I wouldn't have been able... I was so lucky that I was actually able to have that opportunity. And, um, yeah, and then there would be funding in the arts. There's so There would be so much... Music has an ability to generate so much uh, money if they just invest in it from an early age in kids. But they just don't see it that, like that. They're like, oh, hold on. Well, no money's coming into it, so we're just going to cut all the money from it and kill the entire industry. Yeah, self-perpetuating, right? Yeah. And I think what you've said there around where it's being invested, it's seen as an entertainment. It's seen as a luxury. Uh, whereas for a lot of people, it's a livelihood. It's what they need. It's what they thrive from. Um, and going, going along the lines of... Um, investing in kids it's something that needs to yes start with kids but also needs to continue um I'm I'm now 22 and I'm looking for projects and things I can get involved in but you get to a certain age for some places in some places in the UK where you think where else can I go a lot of things go competitive and what about if you don't want to compete (laughs) uh what if it's that you just want a community that you've uh that you want to get involved in and be with and just just create those memories it's a different it's 
it's so nice when you're away from education because you get to use what you know and that goes for when you do more uh, extracurriculum uh, activities too um they ju- it's just so enriching i have friends who were very much in the stem world um and didn't get the opportunity to um, meet so many different types of people um so yeah i 100% agree with you uh it's something that i think is overlooked and seen as um a, not a necessity and i think that goes for an array of arts so not just music i know we're speaking specifically about music but there's so many ways that you can in, uh get in get involved in it and see it as a pressure free environment um so yes <laughs> Um, I think there's just something very elitist about the whole thing because, um, like, as we were saying, like, they don't hand out free music lessons, like, willy-nilly or anything. It's like you have to really look for it, and that requires your parents maybe to have time to do that for you because you're six, seven, you can't do that yourself, and most of the time the families that need those kind of free music lessons or free drama lessons or any creative thing they don't have the time to do that because they're working so hard to make sure you can like they can provide for you and um like I saw this TikTok about um how in the UK most of the famous actors famous artists came from private school education came from you know oxbridge and if you look at america you know even though we don't like to say that they're they've done anything better than us at about it's it's not great that it's a 50 50 split because it's not a 50 50 split in the u.s but at least they have this like split of people coming from poorer backgrounds lower class and not upper middle class um people being the only ones that make it like if you think of famous british actors you think like i don't know like Benedict cumberbatch <laughs> tom hiddleston uh even tom holland they're even all... tom hardy who like plays yeah, exactly this, like geezer in so many things. he comes from like like a posh background right i never yeah. knew yeah and they're and those are like the famous British people, and that's. And I think, uh, just like if we think of Britain's um, representation to the rest of the world, it's a very you know upper class, haughty culture, and it's almost as if you're sweeping um, the found like the foundations that Britain is built on, which is the lower class who you. you like the system just doesn't appreciate them and what they do and that's reflected in um the ed- the lack of education that's given around the art subjects and right so i've got a question which is what is the purpose of art then like wh- because as you said like the foundations of creativity and art back in the day like around the baroque period or like with classical music that it was like it served in like to uh support power structures right so it was a way of um expressing your cultural competence like your cultural kind of um 
civility. What, what word am I looking for? Like your 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 superiority, your like cultural superiority over people, right? Yeah, cultural capital, exactly. And it's like so, and and so you've got the canon and who we learn about in like the education system with 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 poets and and playwrights, Shakespeare, Chaucer, like or if you go to like a uh, um, like a classic university, like an uh, like one of the old school universities, though that's what they'll teach you in English literature is like all the all the kind of creative canon and and it's like what like i wonder what the purpose of those like teaching us that stuff is you know like compared to using art and creativity as like a subversive tool or like a tool to question power and like interrogate power and 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 create social change for the better do you think art is fundamentally political or is can it just be like self-expression or should it should it be i think that art has throughout history like remained this political thing like if if you talk about shakespeare you know all his plays like macbeth was about the witches and richard the third was about um making what richard, richard the second or third was about uh, validating Queen Elizabeth as the rightful ruler of England, and he uh, and um, and since then and before as well, you look um, at how this art art communicates and almost brainwashes. It can have that power to make you agree with what's being written because it's being communicated in a way that doesn't seem biased or it's it just feels more persuasive and then even when you're like you're analyzing um any literature or you're analyzing a film or whatever you look at the context around the time it's made and because it has a message in it that is usually political and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that especially because self-expression in art can help people if it's political because it can make them feel um empowered it can make them tell their story share their experience empower others but it can be nice to not have to have like this brain work of a message behind it and that, i think that's why like you know i mean last night i was struggling to go to sleep because i'm like stressed about my exams and i just was like i'm just going to read harry potter because that's really simple and it's a comfort thing and there's not really yes she who must not be named loves to put political (laughs) she loves to put political messages into it that she reveals at later dates but I think if you remember when you're reading it when you're 10 and it was just a boy with magic powers and it's all that that's all it is it feels more simple but even that has like such political messages and and you and the author is political themselves but there's like those archetypes of stories right that that um, yeah. kind of go through and they they're like easy to digest and they don't feel political but ultimately they're political yeah right? and like you like if you all the books you study in english like lord of the flies is one of the ones i did and it is about 
Christianity and like one of the characters is the symbol for Jesus and it just when you're when all the books you're studying it like if you look at all the con the context the religious context it's always Christianity and then the stories is usually about social standards for the time and all of that and it's like right then if we have to you know it's really interesting learning about politics at the time but you don't learn about anything from other places around the world or what it's like now which is even more valuable let's not go let's not get onto michael gove taking all the uh other books off yeah, the syllabus exactly and like we were talking about this in our last like meeting it's like with like a level english i'm still doing you know the wuthering heights and othello and all of that and the only opportunity i have to read like study a book that isn't from the uk written over 100 years ago is the two that you pick to study yourself which is putting the responsibility on the student and not just giving them you know it more accessible and it's just yeah it's not great i guess we're talking essentially about the need to decolonize the curriculum here yeah in the arts do you find that um there do you find it's do you find it's different do you find that the stuff that you come across in the arts is um a broad range of like art artists and uh playwrights and authors or do you find that it's the same as it is in school Okay, well, <laughs> I think music is famously very, very, very elitist. Um, I do think it is getting slightly better, though. Um, if you look at um, music grades, for example, this isn't necessarily... I'll get to the point. Um, <laughs> if you look at the music grades, um, they start off, or they started off, very, very always classical every single grade going up um but there is a b piece we love the b piece and it's um uh, a jazz piece and i think it's a very very minute change every time that it changes every four or five years to syllabus and it's a very very small change each time but i think you can see through that piece which is a very small glimmer of hope they are getting more towards modern composers who compose more meaningful things than, you know, the old operas that are just about nothing in particular. They're not even political for the time. They're just nonsense. But, um, yeah, I think... But, yeah, I think through that you can kind of see it's slightly improving. I also think um, you can see by the facts that the music community has actually started to accept it as not elitist. The government hasn't, but... Um, you can see that through the Royal Albert Hall for a very long time now has always had seats open that you don't have to pay for. So they're standing seats, but they're in front of the stage. Every single classical music concert there is, you can just wait in line and get a free place. And I think that is kind of representative of the fact that the music community as a whole, generally speaking, um, although there are still music competitions which are very con controversial, they are starting to try their best to move towards it being less elitist and therefore moving towards you know composers with a better message than they have been in the past. Because if we move away from the 
everybody who is anything to do with classical music being really rich and full of money, um, which to be fair isn't changing much because I recently went to a jazz and rock week, I might add, so not really classical, but um, at Guildhall School, I was really lucky to be able to go there. I was there on bursary and everybody else there went to boarding school. I was the only person there who went to a state school. So, um, so in that respect, you can see that it is still bad, but I think it is slowly getting better. I guess it's also interesting to look at like who is accessing those opportunities. Like if there's not free opportunities, who's left out, who can't afford it? How do people know about that? Like I didn't know about the Royal Albert Hall. How how is that? How are they spreading that? How are they sharing the word? Who are they inviting? Who are they letting know is free? And I think it like you were talking about um actors earlier and you have to look at drama school as well. And I think there are there they are there are some improvements, but actually to audition for drama school is really, really expensive. The fees are just unaffordable. And who's making those decisions in drama school about who's allowed to who's allowed to go in? Well, yeah, I actually recently auditioned for a music school. And um, they have a, a tier system that the government actually pays for, which is surprising, because um, it is a boarding school for musicians. And so depending on your... Uh, household income they pay a certain amount and so it would work out that my parents would basically be paying the same amount as they pay for me day to day for a year um but the uh, application fee which you could not apply for help for was 150 pounds it's ridiculous i mean how is that becoming accessible when it's yes the fees would be all right but also you have to pay 150 pounds non-refundable to just audition yeah, I mean, when I was in like year nine, like year ten, I really I wanted to go to drama school because that, that's what I wanted to do, and um, and I event like I never ended up auditioning for anywhere because you just give up eventually, and because and then I'm, I mean, my interests have changed now. That's no what I want to do, but if that's still what I wanted to do, there's a good chance I probably wouldn't be able to because all of the really you know, the actors that end up doing well, and especially what I want to do, which was theatre, which is somehow even, can get even more elitist, especially when you look at, like, Shakespearean and the National Theatre, you, um, it's, you have to start going to these drama schools when you're about 14, which costs, like, 20, 30 grand a year, like, and that's just a lot of, and the fact that you have to decide at such a young age, you have to start, you know, or like auditioning for adverts if you want to do TV when you're older because you have to build up this experience when you're so young and it's just not accessible to... It just It's only accessible to such a small percentage of people and it's usually people whose parents are already involved in the sector quite high up. And I think... I, d- I don't really know a lot about music because I, st- I stopped doing music a few years ago and I played the classical guitar, which is... The least relevant (laughs) (laughs) instrument yeah um but I don't know if it's the same there but it's it can get really similar with art which is now what I'm looking at and you know to like be uh, to get a lot of respect and build up your like being able to get into exhibitions you have to go to all the, the like the Royal College of Art and all like the art schools and they are also just so expensive and way more accessible to richer 
people and it's it just cuts so many people off when often the most interesting stories that can be told are from people who've had diff- a wide range of experiences and yeah no, d- um, no and I think what you're onto there is this idea of um, sharing the unconventional ways to get where you want and by that I mean you don't have to go through an education system that promotes or is um, tailored to people of a, of a higher class or from a different background. Um, my my experience within dance, uh, I was always very quite uh, nervous about it. I also had a lot of injuries growing up, um, and getting into dance, I didn't. I've never done ballet, <laughs> and when I went to uh, uni, that was the first time I took a ballet class. And I thought, where am I? What am I doing? (laughs) Um, And it was very much, uh, I was in a room of people with their leotards and their uh, ballet skirts and their point shoes. And I'm there in my socks with my leggings and my baggy T-shirt. And it took for, it probably took me almost a year to actually feel comfortable in that class. um, Just because... I didn't have the same background or experience as other people. And what was nice is that I wasn't the only one at uni experiencing that. There was maybe about 10 of us that definitely were looking at each other like, what is this? (laughs) So that's the question, right? Like, is it about like, oh, keeping the stuff the same, but just like increasing representation? Or is it about like changing the stuff, you know, like? No, definitely. And I think it's a question to the people who are creating these systems or and the people who are experiencing those, because quite often the people experiencing are ignored. Um, but I, I think it's are they creating people that are knowledgeable in that sector or are they creating people that can take that knowledge and do what they want with it um, there's two there's a lot that is as you've just said it's uh, there's a lot of the same thing happening upon generation upon generation and um, there's a lot that gets neglected and left out uh, unless we go on our own back and find out about it which as you say is not accessible but I think uh, history was one of my modules and at uni, and we only really learnt about Eurocentric history in dance. I didn't know about it. I never took dance history before I went to university either. But it wasn't until I left that I realised we've ne- we've just we've just learnt about contemporary dance. I think like higher education institutions have a responsibility to let you know to work with their pupils or their students and let them know like different creative career pathways like when I was at university and not everyone goes to university which is absolutely fine but even at sixth form you know you should be told about different avenues or different places that you could go down that's not necessarily university but from my experience of being at university all I was doing was studying the modules I had no understanding of how the creative industries worked I had no kind of understanding of all the different avenues that I could go down all the different job roles that I could potentially do with the knowledge that I had um and I think I think it's about exposing young people or anyone really to to the different pathways that you can take and it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be linear you know you don't it's not necessarily go to drama school become an actor I know loads of people who've gone to drama school and now they're writers and directors and actors and they've got so many bows to their arrow it doesn't just have to be straightforward Yeah, well, I'd say I'm very lucky in that respect that I've been in a music centre since I was seven because I've just found out recently that my school-like careers people really don't want me to try and be a classical musician 
because that's not stable. So they're like, don't do that. We want you to earn money because you came from this school. So get a stable job. No, that I, I want to be a classical musician. That's one, what I want to do. I know that that's hard. I'm not under the illusion that'll be easy. But this is what I've been doing since I was six, seven years old. This is what I enjoy doing. And that's what I want to do. But yeah, if I'd, you know, if I'd been doing flute lessons, but not been engaging myself in other activities outside school or if I hadn't been you know looking things up constantly because I'm a obsessive researcher and I want to know exactly what I'm doing um if I hadn't been a career focused person from like day one I would have no idea what to do because they they're not gonna help me do that when they when they're telling me not to do it even when I'm telling them to their face this is what I'm doing I feel very sorry for people who haven't had the opportunities that I've had because music's such an amazing thing and I'm so grateful for it. But if I hadn't had any of these, like a single one, if I hadn't had a single one of the opportunities I've had, then I have no idea what I'd do with my life, which is worrying to think about. Like in our curriculum, where mainly taught about things that only affect kind of the like the UK and like England but like learning about like key issues that maybe affected other cultures that influenced this country and um, because you know like there's loads of influences like from different cultures and because it's like a very diverse population here so like um learning about like how these other cultures came to be or like you know like what's it called like how they immigrated here for example like the Windrush generation that's not really talked about in school and all those kind of issues that help you know like build like the British Empire and all that kind of thing yeah that's super interesting man like so and and I think we've kind of been skirting around it but like you know the impact of um, like black culture, black music on British culture and British identity, and specifically like West Indian culture on Britain is like beyond immense. You know, like to the point now where West, like British culture, is so entwined for the better with West Indian culture. Except, well, like you know, I would say specifically in my life, like the impact of kind of sound system culture for example is like Notting Hill Carnival St Paul's Carnival in Bristol these are these are places that like from the age of like 11 12 I would never not go to you know what I mean and so like that and 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 especially like when I was a teenager and talking about how you know it's interesting like how is identity formed like how do we become who we are and like feel uh, like as people and like where we sit in society you know i was into like uh, like i said before i listened to a lot of punk music but i also listened to a lot of like ska and reggae music and i find and like skinhead music as well and i find that into like there's a really really interesting like um relationship between like what British culture and what British identity is when it 
when it interacted with West Indian culture, creating like the skinhead movement, the two tone movement, all like all of that stuff was so like fa- like fundamentally British in so many ways, but also had like interactions with like really really racist racist elements of the country and like attitudes. Um, I think like it's it's a really really like. But but equally, it was very dangerous. So all of that stuff was subversive to the like institutional cultures, you know, and like what what British being British should be, which is like stiff upper lip and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? It's like very much like a like subversive way of approaching life, I guess. Uh, and I think what you said there about finding your identity as somebody who is British, um, it is. You look for where you fit in, and that will, that works with uh, your communities, with your families, with your friends, uh, where you choose to have your education or where you fall into education. Um, because quite often, at least for me, there, there's definitely a period of time, and maybe it's still going on, where I think I don't know where I fit. Um, and then you talk about there are so many, there's an array of cultures out there, um, and it's just not knowing it, you kind of want to tick all the boxes it's almost like you're filling a, out a form where you say oh this is my ethnicity this is my nationality um but sometimes you don't fit into those um and you're left being like well if I'm not on there then maybe it doesn't matter or it doesn't or maybe it's not important um so I just think it's at the moment I see identity and British identity as something that for me and maybe uh, people who are still figuring out what they want to do and who they want to be, it's fluid um, and that's okay. Because <laughs> um, I think, again, I was saying about being pigeonholed and knowing what you need to be and maybe following a legacy that has been set out before you and knowing a ton about your history or not knowing anything. It's these experiences that build you and the more you learn, the more you can imprint that on yourself. Um, and you kind of choose and select what you feel represents you. Um, and if you feel like none of it does, then you make your own label and just stick it like right there and be like, this is me. Yeah, I think like this, the whole ticking the box thing is like with the census that we just did. And like, I'm like, my dad's Brit, like, born English and my mum's from Turkey and you you have to go and type in your specific ethnicity because it doesn't come up you're just going other 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 until it just goes just tell us because it can't figure it out and and then you and then like two seconds later I have to tell them what my sexuality is where I only get three options and it's like why do why do you need why do why am I fitting into like all these boxes which you don't really want me in anyway because you haven't even given me my options anyway and it's just if it doesn't help when you know you're already a teenager going through an identity crisis like everyone does and you're expected to know so much about yourself at the age of 16 when you you should just be finding out who you are and I think um there's so much pressure everywhere because of the way that society expects you to just know who you are because they like labels they like the comfort of it and if they can put you in a box and make your label for you then 
it would just make everything easier but that's just not how it works and it really annoys me a lot of time and it's never worked like that like it, it, you know the our conception of these things is so like recent and i think a lot of the time like like non-binary isn't even recognized as a gender legally mm. and it it kind of like it it almost baffles you in a way because you're like because I was I was at trans pride because I was going with my friend and um there were so and obviously lots of non-binary people there and we we're all marching around protesting for outside parliament about you know uh, recognizing it as a legal gender which the government said recently they have no plans to do and it's like well can't you see all these people here which you know i'm sorry if they don't fit into the labels that you think the world has and it's very ignorant of the people who are in power to not want to change anything and I know that people don't like change. I don't like change. But it doesn't mean that it isn't necessary to make people feel safer and validated. If there was, like, if there was one thing that you could change or that you could say to people in positions of power, like, whether that's, like, the prime minister or, like, the head, like... um head teacher at your school or like you know someone with a position of power what would what would that kind of message be to them uh, um i think the main thing that isn't that hard to change is the curriculum and making um not only like prioritizing not prioritizing but making art and music drama creative subjects feel as important and um, accessible in most schools because some schools you know don't run those subjects because they the lack of funding around it and making them easier because it is known to help people's mental health a lot and that's especially important nowadays and I think as well um the curriculum has to be changed to be more diverse in English and history um so that you learn about literature from other countries other cultures and same with history that it's not so Eurocentric and so um whitewashed and the british history that we're taught should be less biased to like making britain look good because that's what it does a lot of the time yeah so i think the curriculum needs a revamp i very much agree with you um um like just ease up on the stress on kids why do why do kids yeah, have man. to be so stressed even to do anything like why why do as, as you said why do kids that want to yeah. be actors have to be acting from the age of three why do <laughs> why do um musicians have to you know be dealing with all these stress of very stressful exams from a really early age why do we have to know what we want to do when we're 12 i mean and yeah just in terms of 
everything in terms of exams why do we have to have such stressful exams why do our entire lives ride on these exams that we take when we're 15 16 we shouldn't start like pinning labels and stereotypes at such a young age because like um as you're growing up like you know like your mental health and you know that fear of always like being judged or um like these kind of boxes that you have to tick for you to be accepted into society kind of um, affect that mental health status. And like, I feel like if they weren't put on you at such a young age, the um, our mental health probably wouldn't be as bad as it is right now. Yeah, really insightful. Um, so one thing I would definitely would say to people in power and maybe yeah the people in power that is that do people like really have free will because obviously yeah in England you you'd think yes but do we really because schools and like education the funding's all going towards the core subjects and not really arts and things that people love so and it's trying to build us into this like model person, perfect for what the government needs. And do we really? Is that really what we want? Is that that's not? How bored would the government be if there was no creativity? Like <laughs> this, this is what people live for really if you think about it people go to work most people hate their jobs they come back they listen to music they watch the tv they have this time with their families everything that you do the the majority of people do outside of the work that they probably hate is creative and yet they're trying to get all these money maker people the economy is made out of a lot of creative things and i don't think they realize that because if they did they wouldn't be cutting so much funding for or they do realise it, but see it as a luxury and entertainment. It's for entertainment only. It's not to make a living. But the people who you're watching are making a living out of what you're <laughs> out of what you're consuming. I don't think they're thinking it through very well. Well, but also like, or they do. They see the power of it, and they say like, okay, well, if you d- if we underfund this, then we won't have like the free thinkers, like you said, Dominic, and the people who, you know, who who are willing and able to question what's going on because so and and they'll have to like go into the jobs that they hate you know and then have their creativity dampened and i think when we say the people in power is there uh we're talking about the government uh we're talking about uh people who run organizations that may be uh, independently funded from the government like so separate um but i think any i would i would even go as far as to say anybody with authority um there's this there's this um need to nurture and nurture doesn't mean your your what, what's the term is it like mo- molly coddling <laughs> um, that you're not coddling people you're ma- not making them feel emotional and weak like these are not things that should be looked down on they're things that should be embraced and enhanced and through enhancing them you find i mean again you're able to identify and further enhance who you are as a human being thank you guys for tuning into one night real talk you can catch us on instagram at one night real talk 
and we're out. Bye. Thank you.